everyone, and welcome to episode 2 of On the Coattails, Parallel Stories of the Missing Missing. On the Coattails is a special limited series offered by the Cremopedia podcast, which will walk you through each of seven cases where eight lives were lost that took place during the hunt for information about Gabby Petito and her killer, Brian Laundrie, following her senseless murder. I'm your host, Allison, and on episode two, What Happened in September, I'm going to begin by walking you through the unsolved murder of Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner. Before I dive in, if you haven't already listened to the first episode of On the Coattails, Parallel Stories of the Missing Missing, then you need to start your listening at episode one, or else you'll miss some critical background information that I gave during that episode. With that all out of the way, I think it's a good time to jump right in. Fifty million plus people asking, "Where's Gabby?" If you remember from episode one, it was on August twelfth in twenty twenty one when Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie were pulled over on the side of a freeway in Moab, Utah. After several witnesses had called police and stated that Brian and Gabby were clearly in the middle of what was potentially a violent altercation. In the body cam footage, you can see police trying to de-escalate the situation between them. Ultimately, they ruled that Gabby was in fact the primary aggressor of the altercation, which is a decision that many people have criticized. Even more so, people say that the fact that Moab police failed to see the situation for what it was, considering in hindsight, we can see that Brian Laundrie is very manipulative and callous, that this was a missed opportunity to prevent the violence that would soon ensue. But while that was happening, at the same time Gabby and Brian were struggling with their relationship in Utah, 24-year-old Kylan Schult and 38-year-old Crystal Turner were enjoying their first few months together as newlyweds. What the couple didn't know, however, was on the last night that they were seen, August 13th, 2021, a single day after the body cam footage of Gabby and Brian was recorded, that that would be the last time they would actually enjoy a night out together because that was the last time that Kylan and Crystal were seen alive. They would be found a few days later on August 18th, shot to death near Moab in the South Mesa area of the LaSalle Mountains, where they were camping. Like I mentioned, they were newlyweds. They had just gotten married only a few months prior in April 2021 in a treehouse in Crystal's home state of Arkansas. The couple were living in a van, similar to Gabby and Brian, that was outfitted for all of their needs. They moved from campsite to campsite and ended up in Moab in the LaSalle Mountains. The last time they were seen alive, on August 13th at the Woody Tavern, it looks like Kylan and Crystal are ordering drinks at a bar. Either that, or they're having some sort of interaction with someone on the other side of a table or a banister. It's kind of hard to tell, but either way, Kylan is clearly pictured with a smile on her face, and nothing really seems out of the ordinary for them. 
but I'm presuming once their family members hadn't heard from them, things started to get a little suspicious, and so they were reported missing on August 16th. As we know, they were found two days later. Given what had transpired with Gabby and Brian, with Gabby going missing shortly after Kylan and Crystal were found deceased, and once that body cam footage of their altercation was released to the public, people started drawing the connection between Kylan and Crystal and Gabby and Brian. There are even some reports that I've found that police have speculated that the cases were related, although in more recent reports, they say otherwise. But on the surface, the cases are quite similar. A couple goes camping in Utah, they live relatively nomadic lifestyles, they go missing, and someone turns up deceased. However, once Brian turned up in Florida and was acting very suspicious, it became apparent that his behavior was indicative of some sort of guilt about what happened to Gabby. At least, it was indicative of that to me, anyways. But nothing concretely linked him to Kylan and Crystal. The fact that they were known to be in the same city at the same time isn't the only parallel in these cases. The argument that transpired between Gabby and Brian that led to them being pulled over by Moab police and subsequently all of that body cam footage being recorded was the same argument that started in public and was observed by witnesses. The argument seems to have started at a store called the Moonflower Co-op, and this was the store that Kylan Schult worked at. Crystal, on the other hand, worked at a McDonald's near Main Street. She did not work at the Moonflower Co-op, but she was apparently there for some amount of time visiting her new wife that day. And it's also possible that both couples could have crossed paths at another location. It's possible that the two could have even been shooting pool together at the Woody Tavern in Moab. However, I question this because after that altercation between Gabby and Brian took place on the 12th, they were ordered to be separated for the night, so it's unclear if they would have rejoined and been going out together to a bar the next day. But some people claim that they were there with Kylan and Crystal. Given the incredibly close proximity of Gabby and Brian to Kylan and Crystal, and then given what happened to both couples, people thought that Brian may have retaliated against Kylan and Crystal because they were one of the primary witnesses to their argument at the Moonflower Co-op. It was possible to some people that Brian could have been retaliating against anyone who saw him abusing Gabby. But as of January 2022, the Grand County Sheriff Stephen White said that based on electronic transmission evidence, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but apparently it indicates that Brian likely wasn't involved. A key piece of evidence in Kylan and Crystal's case is that at the Woody Tavern the last night they were seen alive, they had mentioned to their friend Cindy that there was a quote-unquote creepy man near their campsite. They said to Cindy that, quote, if anything happens, he murdered us. But Cindy doesn't think that the couple actually anticipated any risk, or else they likely wouldn't have stayed in the area. Remember, these two lived a nomadic lifestyle, and they were moving from campsite to campsite. They would have had no problem picking up and leaving if they actually anticipated that something was seriously wrong. However, the connection to Brian and Gabby is much more important than what it seems like on the surface. Kylan and Crystal's case has garnered a lot more attention in the media now that Brian's name was attached to it. Despite the main theory in this case being that whatever creepy man Kylan and Crystal observed was actually responsible for their death, having Brian Laundrie's name attached to someone's case in the middle of the media frenzy that followed Gabby and Brian made any headlines that mentioned Kylan and Crystal and Brian in the same title skyrocket to the first four pages on Google. 
According to police, this creepy man has actually been identified as a person of interest. However, he remains unnamed to this day, and their case has never been closed. There was apparently more than one sick, homicidal man in Moab that day. It wasn't just Brian. At the actual scene of the crime at their campsite, police found a single Samsung phone, but in my research, it didn't indicate who exactly it belonged to. As well, in October of 2021, a few months after the couple was found, Moab police would release an affidavit for a search warrant related to their case. They were interested in investigating cell tower data not far from where the couple had been found in the LaSalle Mountains. The affidavit goes on to state that the information police were looking for was related to evidence of a crime or crimes of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, which I found very interesting because it possibly indicates that this wasn't a totally random act of violence, as well as sexual assault and desecration of a corpse. But I couldn't find anything else online that elaborated on this evidence or really what direction police were headed in through the investigation. The only other last piece of information that I can leave you with is that currently there are multiple rewards being offered for information in the double homicide of Kylan Schultz and Crystal Turner. You can call the Grand County Sheriff's Office at 435-259-8115 if you happen to have any information. As of December 2021, Dog the Bounty Hunter, who we all know was very vocal and very involved in the search for Brian Laundrie, has offered his services to Kylan's parents. Something else I wanted to mention was that the Grand County Sheriff Stephen White also said in his statements that I read quotes from earlier that connecting Kylan and Crystal's case to Brian Laundrie may do more harm than good when it comes to leading police in irrelevant directions. However, Kylan and Crystal's case only garnered a small amount of media attention from riding the coattails of the case of Gabby Petito. For a long time, it was very beneficial to Kylan and Crystal's case to be publishing media stories about them in relation to Brian Laundrie, especially if they were using hashtags about Gabby Petito. We all know that that case was trending on Twitter every single day. However, now that their case is closed, Kylan and Crystal still isn't, and they deserve as much independent news coverage as Gabby and Brian got. So although the case has been determined to be not connected to Brian and Gabby, I think it's still important to talk about it in relation to them. Not because there are any connections, but because we have started a media wave that deserves to be ridden so that we can find justice for Kylan and Crystal. The next case I'm going to be talking about is extremely limited when it comes to information, and I think once I get started talking about it, you'll all understand why. In September of 2021, when the search for Brian Laundrie was first picking up heat, there were sightings of him reported to investigators in Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama is anywhere from an 8 to 10 hour drive from the area where Brian and his family lived in Northport, Florida. And it was at Brian's family home where the search for Brian initially began, because up until he decided to jump ship and end up in the Carlton Reserve, he had been at home, returning to his family home without Gabby, driving her van. But since Brian's parents only came forward a few days after they had last seen him to tell police that he was missing, police knew that he had ample time to end up essentially wherever he wanted to to hide out if that's in fact what he was doing, which we now know that was what he was doing. 
Consequently, investigators were chasing tip after tip, and they were ending up in several different states across the United States. Again, one of these tips ended up saying that Brian Laundrie could have possibly been seen in the area of Mobile, Alabama. Once investigators made their way out there, instead of finding Brian Laundrie, what they found in Mobile on September 20th, 2021, was the body of a homeless man either inside or next to a garbage can at a Walmart in Tillman's Corner, which is a suburb of Mobile. This is unfortunately all the information we have, aside from the fact that it was determined this was in fact not Brian. This man is still unidentified today, and given how little interest police often seem to invest in cases where homeless people are found deceased, it's unclear if he ever will be, and frankly, that's shameful. There's nothing that rips my heart right out of my chest quite like a case where someone is found and there's a total lack of effort to identify them. All of the information on this individual is about where he was found and how he was found in relation to looking for Brian Laundrie. Most of the articles that talk about this man being found will then go on to tell Brian's story and not even begin to question why this man hasn't been identified yet. There must be a better way. It's completely unreasonable to me to not even have a description of the man found available on the internet even for people in the area to read and possibly help identify him. But this is all the information we have. No composite sketch, no description, no facial reconstruction, nothing. This man probably has a family, maybe somewhere in Alabama, somewhere else in the United States, who has no idea what's happened to him, who has no idea that he was found deceased. Unfortunately, these kinds of cases are all too common. In both Canada and the United States, there are hundreds of human remains found that have yet to be identified and go back as early as the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Even today, they remain in national databases unidentified. Unfortunately, this man is one of them. And unfortunately, this is all the information I have for now. The only reason this man has been reported on even at all is because the 11-day period between the time that Brian disappeared into the Carlton Reserve and the time that his family admitted that to police made it so that authorities had a reason to go searching in Alabama. Otherwise, he would be missing missing, someone who is missing and no one even knows they're missing. Again, this is not uncommon with homeless people, sex workers, youth at risk, it's terrible. And again, there has to be a better way. Nine days after Gabby Petito's body was found in the Grand Teton National Forest in the state of Wyoming, on September 28th, in a search for more information about the circumstances of her death, rescuers in the Grand Teton National Park found the body of 46-year-old Robert Lowry of Houston, Texas. Robert had been reported missing on August 20th of 2021, after he left for a trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming the previous day on August 19th, and subsequently afterwards, completely cut off contact with his family. He was seen carrying a black duffel bag, a sleeping bag, and a tent into the Bridger Teton National Forest on the Black Canyon Trail, which is an extension of the Grand Teton National Park. His family had no idea what happened to him. It's possible that they thought Robert could have been into some sort of accident, 
considering he was essentially going camping on his own in the middle of a national forest, and they really had no idea exactly where he ended up. It was incredibly unlike Robert to not be in connection with his family. It's not like Robert Lowry was a father that chose to abandon his children. It's not like Robert Lowry wasn't involved in his family's life. According to Robert's sister, Lee, she mentioned that Robert always talked about his kids, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, by the time he was found. She said that he's never out of touch with them. To the family, it seems like this solo trip to Jackson Hole was almost like a soul-searching venture, and that's just from what I've been able to find online, because apparently Robert had just left his job in real estate only shortly prior to when he left. He had been working in commercial real estate in the Houston area for approximately 20 years, so however he left his job, this was a big change for Robert, and I'm sure it must have taken a toll on his emotional health. The family said that once they'd got the missing persons report filed, tips from the public were sparse, but they didn't understand why there was no sense of urgency from police or really anyone to search for Robert. This became even more puzzling to them when Gabby Petito was reported missing on September 11th, 2021, and the entire world watched that saga unfold in the media, seemingly unable to turn their attention away from her. Even worse was once the search for Brian Laundrie began underway, they didn't understand why the same effort wasn't being put into Robert Lowry, who was a father of two. However, members of the search party that did go out looking for Robert all across Wyoming did say that the widespread news coverage of Gabby Petito did bring light to Robert's disappearance in the media, and it resulted in at least two witnesses calling local authorities about him and giving them a description about the duffel bag that Robert was seen carrying into the Bridger Teton National Forest. Although this information was critical, and it told investigators and search party teams what to be looking for when searching for Robert, it was still not as widespread as anything put out about Brian or Gabby. But thankfully, the search for information in their case led to answers for the Lowry family, who honestly wouldn't have known what happened to Robert otherwise. Robert Lowry died by suicide, according to the Teton County Coroner, Dr. Brent Blue the same coroner who conducted the autopsy on Gabby Petito. Robert Lowry was a father, like I mentioned, to a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. Those are some of the most impressionable ages in a child's life. And unfortunately, whatever Robert was dealing with at this time was too much to bear. He was described as a great father, as well as a loving son, a brother, and a friend. His family affectionately called him Bob, and apparently he was named after his great-grandparents. In his obituary, it said the children will have the unconditional love and support from our full extended family. However, in the wake of their father's unexpected death, we want to ensure that they are best set up for their future. Thankfully, given the outpour of love that the Lowry family experienced after his body was found in the Bridger Teton National Forest, approximately $62,000 in donations have been raised to support the family, especially his children, in this difficult time. The Lowry family had to endure an entire month not knowing what happened to their father. This is sort of the upside to the media storm surrounding Gabby and Brian's case, Aside from intense pressure to solve it and get justice for Gabby, 
It pushed people into areas they weren't previously interested in exploring, and it encouraged witnesses who thought their information was irrelevant to finally come forward. Although the case of missing Robert Lowry was able to seek resolution, this is the only story that I'll be telling you in On the Coattails that actually is solved. The rest of the cases that I'll be telling you about in this series still have no conclusion. At this point in the story, we've drawn parallels between three cases including four people who lost their lives and were discovered while searching for Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. And yet, we still have so much more to talk about. I'm going to end this episode here while we're still in September and in accordance with the timeline of Gabby Petito's death, when Robert Lowry was found, she had just been found as well. If you've already listened to episode 1, and you're familiar with the case of Gabby Petito, then you'll know what likely is coming after in her story. However, what you may not know is that there are three other cases we still have to talk about just in the month of October. With that, I'll see you back here next time on March 30th at 10am Eastern Standard Time for the next episode of On the Coattails, Parallels of the Missing Missing by the Cremopedia Podcast. I hope you're enjoying these episodes as much as I'm truly enjoying making them for you, and I hope they're inspiring you to do some of your own research, because if I've learned anything while making these cases, because if I've learned anything while compiling all the research to do these episodes, is that it can honestly happen to anyone. Kylan Schult, Crystal Turner, Robert Lowry, and even the homeless man from Alabama all had lives, they all had friends, they all had things to do every day, they all interacted with people, they were all known by someone, they all had families, just like you and just like me. And that's why these cases are so important. Next time you'll hear from me, we'll be off to the state of North Carolina, where police found the body of 33-year-old Josue Calderon. But until then, I'll talk to you soon.